0: We begin a new chapter, chapter 30. Chapter 29 ended where David, he left the Philistine troops who were on their way to a war with Israel and David and his men, they were thrown out of there. The Philistine commanders didn't trust them. And now David and his men are heading back home. And where is home? Well, home is this place called Ziklag. That's where David and his men have been living ever since he arrived in Gat, the king Achish, the Philistine king, Achish, he allocated for David this place called Tziklag, which is in Philistine territory at that time. And David's going back there. And what does he see? Well, that's how we open up the chapter. And when David and his men reached Tziklag, on the third day, that is, they've been away for three days. The Amalekites raided Siklag and the Negev at Siklag and they attacked, or they smote Siklag, Tobesh, and they burned it down. And they captured the women that were there and the children. Mikatan Valgadol, both young and old, remember the families of David and his men. They were living in Siklag. Okay, so this whole thing is so tragic. It's telling us that when they departed from the Philistine ranks, they return on the third day. They discovered that the Amalekites have raided them. And the Redak says like this, that these Amalekites were taking revenge for all the times David had preyed upon them. They did a little bit of an investigation where David's camp was, and they've now burned down the place. Okay, so what the Redak is talking about, we saw those verses earlier that David was raiding on a regular basis the Kshuri, the Grizi, and the Amalekites. But apparently the Kshuri and the Grizi wouldn't dare carry out a reprisal attack. But Amalek, they're more brazen, they got a lot more chutzpah, and they come now and take revenge against David and his men for all the times that they were getting raided and looted. And it was pretty easy for them, once they knew where David was, they just waltz right into Tziklag, which was unprotected, after all, David and his men had gone out to that war. And the verse says the Amalekites, they captured the women and the children and went on their way, taking the women and the children with them. Now, this is the miracle in it, that they only captured them at this point and didn't kill them right away. But the fact that they didn't kill them right away gave David and his men a chance to rescue their families. So it just can't get any worse than this. And verse three sums up what we just read. David van b'air." And David and his men, they came to the city of Vihine, and behold, it was burnt down to the ground. So it says in the next verse, that David and his men, they wept aloud. Literally, they raised their voice in crying. And they cried until they had no more strength to cry. So I don't think there's a verse that expresses more than this, a painful event that David's going through. And David has had a lot of painful events in his lifetime, but this has to be right up there. Him and his men crying until they have no strength to cry. And of course, we can understand it. This is a tragedy. And on top of all that sorrow, we're going to see soon that his men want to stone him. They're blaming him for what happened, but we'll see that in a minute. But just imagine what he's going through now. So this is obviously a major crisis. And the next verse goes on to tell us that included in the captured women and children were David's two wives, Achinoam from Jezreel and Avigail, the wife of Naval, they were captured by the Amalekites. So we're reminded of his two wives by name, just to add to the sorrow he must be going through. Now Rabbi Kahana, in his commentary, he asks a question. Is this a time to weep? Why don't they chase down the Amalekites or look for them or try to rescue the women and the children? What are they doing crying with all their sorrow? You know, these are men of action. They should be trying to do something about it. So the rabbi has an interesting take on this. He says that they're crying and not doing anything because they all thought that their family members were already dead, that the Amalekites came, burned down the city, murdered their families, and took their bodies to boast of their conquest. That was the most reasonable scenario. Who wouldn't think that? Who wouldn't think that the Amalekites wouldn't slaughter everybody on the spot? That's what they do. So according to the rabbi, that's why they all broke down crying, because they were sure that their loved ones were slaughtered already. And Rabbi Kahana will bring a proof to his theory through the verses as we go along, that David and his men were under the impression that their families were already dead, and that's why they didn't do anything, And we'll see that proof in a couple of verses. Now, even if you disagree with what the rabbi said, that the men thought their loved ones were already dead, after all, how could the Amalekites carry all those bodies out of there? Still, it's important to remember that when you read the verses in scripture, you may know what happened. But the people in Tanakh, they're living it. So when it says in the opening verses that the Amalekites raided Siklag, burnt it down, took the women and children captive, we see the verse. We're reading the verse. But David isn't, so all he knows and all he sees that he comes to this place, Ziklag, it's smoldering in ashes. He doesn't know what's going on like we do, because again, we're reading it, but he's living it. So he can easily assume that there were no survivors from this thing. Now, before we go on, just a couple of things. Why is it that the scripture, every time it mentions Avigail, it seems to add Eshet Naval. She's Avigail, the wife of Naval. I mean, we know it already, but she's married to David. Give her a break. You have to keep calling her Eshet Naval. So the scripture keeps referring to her that way in order to praise her, to always remind us that she was married to this really bad guy, Naval, but she remained righteous anyway. So it's to her credit. But you can still ask, why does the verse have to give special mention that David's wives were captured? It gives their names because it's obvious they were captured. Well, we'll see why. Because in the next verse, we'll see that David's men, they want to stone him. So the verse is showing us that, hey, David is suffering too, no less than his men, his family is also captured, or dead, however you want to put it. But his men don't think that way. They still want to stone him. And that's what it says in verse 6. David And David was greatly distressed. The word tatser from the word sar, sarli ma'od, distressed. Why was he distressed? Besides the fact that his city was burned down and the families were taken away. Why was he upset? Because his men were talking about stoning him. That's what the verse says. So on top of everything else, his men are turning against him, obviously blaming him for what happened. And that's what the that David says. Why were David's men talking about stoning him? He says, because they were upset and bitter over their sons and daughters. And the verse concludes, David But David strengthened himself in Hashem. Okay, so this is some verse. David's men were so upset that they want to stone him. And you can ask, why are they blaming him? This is David's fault? I mean, what do they want from him? Well, let's go back to the machloket we discussed last week, the dispute we saw last week, where the Ra'albagh said that David went out to that war and joined the Philistine ranks in order to be an adversary, a Satan, an enemy from within, and attack the Philistines in that war. He wanted to go to that war. His plan was to disrupt the Philistines in that war and try to bring a victory for Israel. But what happened? The Philistine captains didn't trust him and they didn't let him participate. So according to the Ralbag, David's men were upset and angry at him for accompanying Achish willingly and trying to play hero. And by doing so, he left the camp unprotected. So he's responsible. Now, if you heard the Shur last week, we saw that the Malbim didn't agree with the Ralbag and he didn't think that David wanted to fight the Philistines from inside. He was just going to be a bodyguard over there. He was going to lay back and not fight. But the captains of the Philistines, they didn't want him. So they made him leave. So if you go by that, why would David's men want to kill him? I mean, what is he to blame? He don't want to go. It's not like he had a choice. So the Malbim has to give another reason. He says like this, They were angry with him for simply making a tactical error and not leaving guards to guard the place. He left the place wide open. But either way you look at it, you have to remember that David's men, remember how the verses describe them? Mare Nefesh, Bitter Soul. men of distress, these were the outs of society. Most of these guys were pretty crazy anyway, and now they're taking out their pain and their frustration on David. They're not virtuous people with wonderful midot. And Rabbi Kahana comments here that we see how fickle the people can be. That is, they have a very short memory When things were going good and they were sitting in Nachat, in Comfort, Ishu Beito, everyone with his family, they were sitting comfortably in Siklag, in Gat. They didn't lack anything. Lots of spoil from the enemy. Plenty of Parnassa. Nobody complained then. But now that things are going bad, it's all David's fault. And the rabbi says that they were probably blaming him for all kinds of other things besides his decision to fight in the Philistine ranks, or his tactical mistake of not leaving guards. There's probably other things they're blaming him for because once the blame game starts, it doesn't end. They could have been blaming him for starting up with Amalek. If we hadn't raided Amalek, this wouldn't have happened. Yeah, but when they were raiding Amalek and bringing home all the goodies, nobody was complaining then. But again, now that things go wrong, it's all on him. And that's the fate of any leader. You know, you take the good with the bad, you get the credit and you get the blame. And the rabbi continues about the fickleness of people that they're really just motivated by self-interest. And so they're with the leader when he's up. And when he's down, they'll leave him. If it's not kadai for them anymore, if it's not worthwhile for them, not getting benefit, they'll abandon that leader. And again, especially with the men around David, who are not the cream of the crop, they're problematic to begin with. These are people who joined David because they're anti-establishment, anti-society. They're rebels who found a cause in David. But now they're turning on him to stone him, the verse says. There's a lot of hate in them anyway. And they have these negative tendencies. And the rabbi concludes that that's why it's hard to build around people like this, though they do serve a purpose. But now we see their negative side is coming out. So we see the rabbi concludes here that you can't build around them. And that's kind of the trade-off and the dilemma because on one hand, they can help you. They can do the dirty work. They'll do what nobody else is willing to do. They'll take the risks. And David needs them for his mini militia. It's really the nucleus of his future army and at the beginning of his malchut. On the other hand, it's like a powder keg. You don't know what's going to set them off. If you go back to chapter 21, when they joined David in the first place, it says, Who gathered around nefesh Who gathered around David? Every man in distress, Vakol Ishmar Nefesh, man of bitter soul. That's the human material David is dealing with here. Let's say they aren't the most stable people in the world. But all the good stable people, they're living a comfortable life in Jerusalem or Tel Aviv or Givat Shaul. They're not going to join David in the Judean Desert. It's the crazy unstable types with nothing to lose. Those are the ones who left it all and gathered around David. And we saw the same phenomenon with Yiftah, the judge that all the rei were drawn to him, all the empty heads. And now here, in this tragic episode, we see the downside of this group, that they can be hotheads and they can turn on you. So David is getting it on all sides. He's in great distress. And that's why it says at the end of the verse, "Vetchazek chazek elokav. But David, he drew strength from Hashem, his God. And when you hear something like that, you know he's going through a crisis in emona If he has to mit chazek, if he has to strengthen himself, means he's weak. And this is when he wrote Psalm 27, according to the sages, that this ordeal is referred to in Psalm 27. And the Psalm really is all about the tormentors and the foes who are trying to devour his flesh. That's what it says in Psalms there. And at the end of the Psalm, he says, "Chazek strengthen yourself. And that's kind of similar to our verse, where it also says, and David strengthened himself. And so again, David's having a crisis in the moon here. And Rabbi Kahana comments on this verse, and David strengthened himself in Hashem, that at this point, David easily could have lost his faith and be angry at Hashem for all that's going on. But no, he's mitchazek ba Hashem alokav. He draws strength from Hashem, his God. Hashem is still his God. He hasn't left him. He's turning to God still. He's not angry at Hashem. He could have been. After all, God promised him that he'll be king. And not only isn't he king, but ever since he's been anointed, well, it's been one ordeal after another. He's gone from being a shepherd, a life of peace and tranquility, to a life of wandering and pain without a home. He's in the exile. He's being chased down by Saul. He's living among uncircumcised Philistines. And now his family's been slaughtered. It can't get any worse than this. And a lot of people would have lost faith they would have said, Hashem, this whole thing is bogus. But David, no, he's mitchazek Bashem. He puts his trust in Hashem. And that's why he's an example for us that no matter how bad it is, he turns to God. And that's why we read his Psalms. He's an example for us that if you're going through pain, just t'chazek bashem, strengthen yourself with the Lord. That's what David does here. And the thing is that it's precisely at this low, low point in his life, precisely now when it seems like it can't get any worse, Right now, really, he is actually on the cusp of Malchut. He is. He's very close right now. He doesn't know it. He doesn't feel it. But he's on the cusp because Saul is going down tomorrow in that war. And David's world is going to change. And so it teaches you sometimes you just got to hang in there a little longer. Don't give up because David could have given up here. He didn't. And he'll wait just a little bit longer. And then as they say, chuat HaShem Heravayin, that the salvation can come in the blink of an eye, and that's what's going to happen for David. From this low, low point, it's only going to pick up from here. Okay, so getting back to the plot, David's next move is going to be to ask the Urim and the Tumim what he should do. Remember, he's got Evyatar the priest with him, and we saw in that Keilah chapter, the City of Keilah episode, that David consulted several times with the Urim and the Tumim. Now he's going to do it again so we'll see that right now in verse seven, where it says, and David said to Eviatar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, bring me the Afod, and Eviatar brought it to him. The Afod, of course, it carries the Urim and the Tumim, those 12 precious stones corresponding to each of the tribes of Israel. And those stones will light up and give the answers to the questions that are asked. That's the Urim and the Tumim. And notice, Eviatar the priest is called Eviatar son of Achimelech. Ahimelech, of course, That was the high priest who was slaughtered along with the other priests. So the verse is reminding us that Evitar the son of Achimelech. Evitar survived that massacre. So he knows something about massacres. He experienced it at Nov. And now it's happening again here in Siklag, another massacre. That's why possibly his father, Achimelech, is being mentioned here in the verse. So we'll stop here before David asks his question. And we want to ask our own questions. For instance, can a connection be made To what's happening here to David, that is that the burning of Tziklag, the capture of his families, is that somehow connected to what's going on with the war that's about to take place between Israel and the Philistines? I'll tell you what I mean. Just on a very shot level, let's say David went out to that war. Let's say the Philistines let him fight and he would have continued onwards to be either a Satan from inside or just lay back as a bodyguard, whatever he wanted to do. Think about it. If he had continued marching with the Philistines and fighting in that war, whatever he would do there, he wouldn't have returned in time to save his family. And I'm giving it away. We'll see as we go on. David and the men rescued their families from Amalek. But think about it. If the Philistines hadn't thrown him out of there, he never would have got back in time. So it's a blessing. He didn't participate in that thing. So we could get back to Ziklag and do something about what happened. So he could say, thank God, David was thrown out of there. And so technically you can relate these two events They're not mutually exclusive. The raiding of Tziklag by the Amalekites and the war between the Jews and the Philistines, we see there's a connection there. The question is, is there a greater connection? Is there something deeper going on? Is David being punished for not trying to save the Jewish people? Or is he being punished for his willingness to participate in that war on any level? Well, we'll return next week and we'll see how David and his men save the day. And we'll examine the question, is this karma? so to speak, is this some kind of payback or some kind of consequence for the major war that's about to take place between the Jews and the Philistines?